Welcome to episode 265 with my guest, Monica Hernandez. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads, from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. The show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. Uh, I'm not a therapist. This isn't a doctor's office. It's, it's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is mentalpod.com. Go there, check it out. You can join the forum. Um, you can read blogs and guest blogs. You can support the show financially. You can fill out surveys, uh, which we may read on the uh, on the podcast. We get thousands and thousands of people filling out these surveys every year, and it's a really, really big and important part of the show. Uh, if you guys stopped taking these surveys, it would... Um, it would be sorely, sorely missed, and I've learned so much about you um, by by you filling these surveys out. Um, and I'm just talking to one person in particular. The rest of you have been wasting my time, and I'm a little pissed off. Um, but the, the person that did a good job filling the survey out, you know who you are. Thank you. High five up top. Oh, I hate myself. I hate myself up top. Oh. What I make it? I made it for a minute and 18 seconds before the self-loathing kicked in. Um, a lot of people have a time-release self-loathing, but uh, mine are uh, fast-acting. Sorry, those of you with misophonia. Drank my tea a little too close to the microphone. The um, I'm very proud of this episode we have today. It's uh, with a, a young woman named uh, Monica Hernandez, and uh, she's 23 years old. And, you know, I was talking about the surveys a little bit earlier, um, and I've learned so much from the surveys, particularly about um, women in their teens, 20s, and 30s. And Monica's, you know, as I was editing her episode together, um, I thought to myself, this is like, in many ways, a classic episode of the trials and tribulations of an American girl. Um, there are so many things that she has experienced that I see so frequently in the surveys, and um, it's... I, I I hope you guys like it as much as as I do, and I hope you um, turn other people onto it too. Because I think, I guess, what I'm trying to say is, I know there's a lot of people out there that feel um, alone and feel like they're they're the only one. But I think young people in particular, because they haven't lived long enough to meet somebody else that has their story. And my hope is is that Monica's story connects with you guys. And you spread it to other people so that um, all the young women out there like Monica um, will know that they're not alone and and what they've uh, experienced, particularly in, in college. Um, now I'm second-guessing myself for talking so much about the episode before it airs. Let's, let's get to the surveys before I self-destruct. I got a little bit of smoke coming out of one headphone right now. 
This is a struggle in a sentence survey, and this is filled out by um, a woman who calls herself forced to smile. And about her depression, she writes, an overwhelming sadness, usually not about something in particular. I think that's when you know it's depression versus being sad. When you're sad, you typically know why. When I'm depressed, I generally don't know what the fuck is wrong with me. Man, do I relate to that one. That is so well put. Thank you for that. Um, A woman calling herself Dragonfly uh, about her depression. She writes, my depression encases me like a ship in a brown glass bottle. That's a great one. Thank you for that. Oh, I'm also uh, anxious. Whenever the the, uh, surveys are predominantly uh, filled out by females, I get really self-conscious because I... um, I worry that you, the listener, think that um, that I don't care about the men, and that um, I don't know, like I've got some some little kind of mental illness happy hour harem going or something. I don't know. It, it's my brain just fucking beating me up, no matter what decision I make, but it helps to to talk about it. And uh, so I'm just anxious when uh, because I think of the. I don't know, let's say there's 15 surveys I'm going to read tonight, and I think maybe 13 of them are uh, are by women. And I'm just constantly worried. Oh, just take a deep breath. Just take a deep breath. There we go. This was filled out by M, and... Um, She's a teenager, and about her OCD, she writes, it feels like a CD that just keeps skipping and you can't move on to the rest of the song. I'm, I'm happy that a teenager uh, still remembers CDs. Do people even buy CDs anymore? This is filled out by Monster Brains, and about her anxiety, she writes, writes, waking up first thing in the morning to the absolute fact that I've irrevocably ruined my life, except I can't remember what it was I did. That is a great one. That is a great one. Um, this is filled out by a guy who calls himself Highwire Scapegoat and about his uh, anxiety. Please don't ignore me and please don't talk to me. About his love addiction. I desperately long for love, but I am afraid of the people I want. That is profound. Uh, other compulsive behaviors. Facebook stalking my frenemy work bully to see if she's saying anything about me. And then this one is filled out by Mimi, who writes about her bulimia. It feels like comforting stuffed animals in your worst nightmare all in one. I fear that I'm inadequate. I fear that I'm inadequate. So recently I've been punching myself a lot. Sometimes I feel like my full-time job... Mental illness. ...is convincing myself... I'm so alone. ...why... Hypervigilance. ...I should try to do something. I hate my kids seeing me like that. I just imagine killing people. I woke up with rats in my hair. They warp reality. Am I losing myself or am I becoming myself? I go back to bed. Hiding underneath the sofa while people were shooting outside the house. I was able to get myself out of Scientology. Put a gun to my mother's head and I was 11 years old. Then you're just garbage moving from one person's house 
to the next person's house and you just hope they don't throw you out like garbage. You know, so I planned my suicide. Because you won't ask for help. I'm asking for help. I'm not pretending everything's okay. I'm not trying to do it alone. I'm really happy that I did it because a lot of good things have happened since then. That, that option just evaporated and I'm, I'm not going to kill myself. I don't think I have what the woman who is not right for me anyway <laughs> wants. <laughs> I'm here with Monica Hernandez, uh, who is a listener. Uh, you're 23 years old. You are uh, the child of, uh, you're Hispanic. Uh, your dad came here from Mexico. Uh, your mom was born here. Where would be a good place to, to start with your story? Well, you know what? Let's, let, let's start with this. What is your emotional state right now? <laughs> well, I, I definitely feel all over the place right now, which is relatively common for me. However, I feel like I've been doing really well for the past year, but all of a sudden I'm quite triggered. And a lot of it is because I am in LA right now and LA is a very triggering place for me. Um, it's, it's where you're from. It's where your parents reside. Correct. You live up the coast. Correct. Near where you went to school. Yes. Um, just describe when you say triggering to somebody out there that might not know what that means, describe emotionally and physically how that manifests itself for you. So right now, I think maybe the best way for me to try to direct is just to describe what I'm feeling physically yes. right now and lately. Uh, you could probably hear it in my voice. I'm shaking and so I'm shaking. My stomach is a little upset, not too upset, but what I was telling Paul earlier is when I feel extremely triggered or basically just really agitated or anxious, if something comes up for me um, that I didn't quite see coming, I will get diarrhea. If, it, if it's something kind of catches you off guard. Yes. Yeah. And I'm not quite at that state yet, but my stomach is definitely sending a lot of weird signals. And so for me, you know, for some people they might shake, which I do, but I also, it's usually like when you say, what does it describe what it feels like in your body? For me, it's like my, everything is, goes from my chest just right down to right below my belly button. And then it's just, it's very physical and it's like actual is it is it centered in your stomach the the anxiety or is your your stomach just kind of get the where it where it leads to it's definitely centered in my stomach and i know why it's centered in my stomach and that's something i know we're inevitably going to get to but i'll uh that's just a little foreshadowing for later <laughs> <laughs> uh well there's a small part of me that wants you to be the first guest to shit themselves uh live on the on the podcast well, the night is young so <laughs> the night is young <laughs> Uh, I know a little bit about your story. Uh, you reached out to me through Twitter, was it, after I shared some stuff about my life or my story? Yes, it was. I It might have been the episode where, an episode about you, I forget. Yeah, it was an episode about you, and then I believe at the end, um, the person who was interviewing you, you shared something, and then... You said you may delete it later and you felt very uncomfortable about it. And I remember I was listening to that episode and I, I remember what it was now. It was the, the third episode with uh, Dr. Jessica Zucker. Okay. And she asked me how I was doing and, you know, my healing from the stuff my mom did. And, um, and then I sh debated on whether or not to share 
the thing that I was struggling with at, at that time. And uh, I thought, yeah, I can just delete it later if I if I didn't want to. But then that was the um, the thing that you reach out to me uh, for, which is one of the really nice things about doing the podcast is when I put something out there that's personal that I feel like like a gross exhibitionist, um, and somebody responds with a a, a, a me too, and um, it's so comforting. It's so comforting. Um, do you remember what it was that, that you said, or do you not want to talk about um, it? I, I don't remember entirely, and that's another thing, too. My memory is completely fucked, but um, still kind of working on that. But that's more foreshadowing for later. <laughs> um, I just remember that it was something that brought me a lot of shame, as it was something that brought you a lot of shame. And even though I was feeling a lot of shame, I wanted you to know that you weren't the only one feeling that shame. And it was something, um, I really don't recall what it was exactly, but um, I just really wanted you to know because I could just tell, obviously, by you saying it and then kind of just the tone of your voice and everything that you were really going back and forth. And for me, it um, not really got the wheels turning for me regarding certain aspects of my life. So I'm like, I'm going to reach out. And I, you know, I didn't think I'd actually like hear anything back. And then, uh, you heard back, and then you started following me, and then we started messaging, and here we are. <laughs> yeah, you just ran the marathon yesterday. Congratulations! That's uh, that's one of your the things you soothe yourself with is is running. Yeah, um, wasn't quite a marathon, eighteen miles, but uh, well, then what's the point, Monica? <laughs> if you're not going to do twenty six, go home. <laughs> Should have turned around. I get um, tired driving eighteen miles. I can't imagine running eighteen miles. It. I mean, I didn't do too well i've done better but i've also done worse I, I just want to commend you on a beautiful job of deflecting every compliment that is coming your way you should consider goaltending in the in the nhl because uh that that is that is nice and i think it's quite telling of your story and your and your upbringing that you have a hard time taking uh positive relevant comments um, about that's you something i'm working on and it, it is something i brought up handful of notes with me um i do write a lot and be that's definitely in my notes be before we get to that i, w I want to just want you to talk about uh running to to soothe yourself oh. what um just talk about it so when did you start okay so i started consistently running my junior year of high school for me it helped me um so many levels but uh even socially um how so? More relaxed? A lot more relaxed. Um, I don't think I really, truly realized how wound up I was until I started running. Isn't it amazing? Sometimes you can't realize what your emotional state was until it changes. Absolutely. And for me, it just turned everything around uh, in my life. It almost sounds cliche, but it truly did change my life. It was, I think for most people, we we have these turning points in our lives. And for me, running was absolutely like top three turning points for me. Did it give you more confidence? It did. Gave me more confidence. And um, at the time, I was actually struggling with um, an eating disorder. Uh, she put it in air quotes. <laughs> why Why put it in air quotes? Um, because you're like every other person who thinks that your struggle isn't valid enough yeah i guess um even though it was actually getting 
pretty bad up until that point. Um, I, and again, that was kind of my, initially that was the reason why I wanted to join. I'm like, well, I'll run and I'll really lose weight. Um, but part, was the thought also that then I won't have to make myself throw up? Um, were you making yourself throw was, up? I was like calorie restricting, like calorie yeah. counting. Um, I was making myself throw up though. And only one person knew at the time. Um, and, and it was to the point where there was blood in my vomit. And I was like, well, this can't be good, but... I like how you put it in air quotes. <laughs> Blood in your vomit, but I don't know if it's valid. Um, I guess, though, too, I, my mom has six other siblings, and one of them has had an eating disorder since she was a toddler. And she... Since being a toddler? Since being a toddler. What? Yeah, I, yeah. She, um, I have, I actually talked to her about it. She lives in, she lives in Italy, but she would come almost every summer and she would definitely project a lot of her eating disorder stuff. And I got a lot of weird signals, messages about food to the point where, um, do you remember the Atkins diet? I do. I was, I put myself on the Atkins diet in fourth grade. So <laughs> there's a clip for the montage. <laughs> I put myself on the Atkins diet in fourth grade. Um, how I learned about that, I have no idea, like how it became a thing for me, but it was just a lot of that. But how this all goes back to running is that um, once I started running, I realized, well, if I'm not eating enough, then I can't really run, but I really like to run. And... Even though running is really hard on your body, it's a lot better than making yourself hunch over a toilet and throw up. So um, that began to really change um, my relationship with food and so, myself. So it helps you with your anxiety. Uh, it helps you be more confident socially. I would imagine it helps you with your depression. Oh, my God. Is that the yes. biggest? What is the biggest payoff of, of running for you? And you run several times a week. Yes. Uh, well, right now, because I, I am training for the LA Marathon. It's in it's in February. Uh, oh, I thought this week it was the LA. Oh, I guess not if it was 18 miles. Yeah, it was the 18 okay. miler. Yeah. Right. Um, and so. Um, Again, I don't really pay attention when people talk. It's fine. <laughs> and. Give me your name again. <laughs> give me your name again. <laughs> Wait, where am I? <laughs> Um, I would say the depression piece, for sure, the depression piece, because for me, I, I could not admit this maybe two years ago, but I could admit it now. Um, I struggle with a lot of, uh, suicidal thoughts, suicidal ideation. And for me, if, if that's something that's coming up for me and, I can't get that out of my head. Um, I'll go on a run. Uh, if I can't, for whatever reason, then that's when things get really tricky. But if I'm able to run, even if it's just like three miles, I feel, I feel a lot better. I'm like, okay, I did this, this, this cool thing. I feel pretty good. We don't have to die today. 
And the endorphins. The endorphins help. The endorphins definitely help. And there really is such thing as that runner's high. Absolutely. I've um, tried a few drugs here or there. Not recently, but even with those highs, it wasn't it wasn't quite the same. And um, so for me, it's I mean, there's so much more. It's so complex. I can't quite put it into words, but it definitely it's my ultimate coping mechanism. If I if there's one um, because before, you know, a lot of it was the food stuff and even prior to the food stuff, there was a lot of self-injury. And talk, t- talk about the self-injury. So that... When did that start? Um, that started... I thank believe, you for not putting the self-injury in air quotes. I, you know, I... It's like I have scars, so I'm like, well, there's an... I can't... I'm like, yeah, it, it happened. So um, that started... It was either fifth or sixth grade. And That's so sad. That's such a young age. I mean, um, any age is sad, but oh my god. Um, and (laughs) it's not funny, but that's (laughs) um. Well, this is the place where we laugh. Yeah. So nobody's Um, gonna judge you if you want to laugh about how fucked up it is. The um, the first time I cut myself, I don't remember entirely, but I remember what I cut myself with. Um, it was sewing scissors and they were like itty bitty, like maybe like three inches or something. And I don't, I wish I could remember. I don't remember what I was experiencing or thinking or feeling, but I remember being in my room and I don't know how I even came up with it, but I just took out my wrist and just cut myself with the scissors, but it didn't draw blood or anything, but I was kind of like fascinated by the possibility that maybe it could. And so I kind of continued until I did draw a little bit of blood. And then I, it was adrenaline, like it was a rush. And I was like, oh. And did that take your depression away, the adrenaline? Or whatever, your anxiety, whatever, whatever feeling it, it was. it was, absolutely. Like it felt, I think, a way I could describe it, I would say um, when the urge would come up, is like when you're um you you tighten your body and your shoulders are super raised but you kind of don't even realize and then it's like after you know that first cut or that draw of blood it's just like your shoulders just completely drop and it's just like okay it's everything's better now it it sounds a lot like and i know it's an addiction but it sounds oh, a lot yeah. like the release that people get from from addictions you know that first after that first beer goes down um i would i would start to feel the adrenaline coming yes and it, it, it was almost like i was an empty tank and i would begin yes. to get filled up yes. with with good feelings and yes um and have an excitement and a relaxation that was inaccessible to me the other 23 hours a day. There was nothing, you know, at that time there, there was nothing else. And I, I didn't even know that I was depressed. I didn't know that I had all this stuff going on really, but I just knew that cutting myself made me feel not all the other things that I was feeling. And so how often would you do it? At, at its worst. Um, hold on one second. We're having some audio issues. 
Sorry, our audio just dropped out there for a second. Um, at its worst, when you were uh, self-harming, how frequently were you doing it? Um, I would say kind of what turned into my ritual for it was I would cut myself maybe... I wouldn't like count the number of cuts, but I would cut myself pretty deeply, really like small cuts. And then I would basically wait for them to kind of begin to heal. And then I would just reopen them. Mm. And then it went from just like maybe four or five to way more than that. And so it's like this concentrated area. And, and that was coming up for me. God, it was, yeah, pretty much as soon as it would begin to heal, and it would. Would you cut them in areas where people couldn't see them? Yes, or people probably could, but I would cover them as best as I could. And I um, I never told anyone. I Did anybody ever yes. say anything? Yes. Um, I, someone, I the, I, the only person, I don't remember if she saw or... If I told her, um, actually, I, I, I remember now. She asked me, "Why, why do you wear so many bracelets?" And I was, but she was someone I actually did trust, and um, and I, I told her, and I, I don't, I don't remember really her response to it, but I, I, I do remember. I don't know if it was that time or later. She told me that she had a. A friend who struggled with that too and uh this person um she's okay with me using her name because she's relevant still relevant to my story um arlene she was pretty much my she's my unofficial mentor uh we actually met at church um and i don't go to church anymore let it be known <laughs> we wouldn't judge you if you did you know a lot of people that get a lot out of uh going to church yeah. and um we met at church and she kind of took me under her wing like without even really realizing that she was doing that and it just she d tremendously helped me with a lot um of stuff really but she was i think she was the only person i actually told because then later down the line there were a few people who did notice or older scars or um what happened there and my uh my boyfriend now uh robert he's okay with me using his name <laughs> He, when we first started dating, he saw, he noticed, he notices things really easily or is very observant or at least regarding me. And he saw and he asked me about it and I told him, uh, that I, I told him I was pretty emo at one point, so I would cut myself a lot <laughs> and I just and I made some sort of joke about it. you say it. emo meaning like you're 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 saying it's because of the music that you were listening to? Uh I think I'd kinda of maybe try to disguise it as I that. See. I mean I was definitely listening to a lot of that and I was just like Yeah <laughs> But She just made the gesture of uh uh, cutting her wrist and then the uh, devil horn, <laughs> but it it definitely wasn't wasn't about that at all. But now I kind of try to cover it by oh, I was just really emo, but um, no, I was just really depressed as shit and I wanted to die. What did it What did it feel like when you revealed that to your friend and she didn't judge you? Was there a feeling that you had um, physically 
when you weren't judged or was it a mental thing or did it not really register? I don't think at the time it entirely registered. Um, I mean, it was something that was actively going on and I was really embarrassed. But I do remember telling her I don't really want to talk about this mm-hmm. and it would come up later. But um, I, she was definitely a safe person for me. And so it wasn't, I just know I was really embarrassed about it. And I was very proactive about hiding it and not showing anyone. So you didn't know anybody else. None of your peers were doing it. It wasn't like, hey, I'm doing this because my friend is doing no. it either. Because I know a lot of times uh, people will, right. that's their entrance to it. Is. Um, later on, I won't, I won't say who this person was, but someone I was am still very close with um, was struggling with that later down the line I didn't know and she and I were able to talk a lot about that and um, I believe she hasn't done it in a while I think she's at her longest where she hasn't and I am currently the last time I did was August 2014 Um, I definitely don't say that with a smile on my face well now I'm smiling (laughs) because but I kind of have this whole thing and it's something I, I, I told my therapist before that it's not something I'm willing to give up or swear off. Like, it's not that, like, on in August 2014, I'm like, this is the last time. Like, it wasn't that um, for me. It's just because in the back of my mind, I take a lot of comfort in knowing, you know, like, if I really want to, I can just do it. It's always there. Kind of like suicide is if it gets bad yeah. enough. Yeah. Yeah, but for me... Which is fucked up, but... It's human. And oddly comforting knowing. Yeah. Oddly comforting knowing, like, okay. And so, yeah, I guess it's cool. Well, not cool, but I guess it's healthy or whatever that I haven't done it in, you know, a little over a year. But it's it's like I'm not really willing to give that up or get, like, give stay, up the idea of it. Give up the idea sure. of it. Yeah. Um, What are the other issues that... Uh, that you struggle with. We've, we've dealt with uh, some anxiety, some depression, cutting, uh, the air quote, eating disorder, which so doesn't, it shouldn't be in air quotes. Um, what, are, what are some other? I think one of the main ones for me now is, although I guess it was o- not always, but for a while it was kind of there, and now I'm, I'm very aware of it, is I feel a great disconnect to my peers. Um, growing up, I preferred hanging out with people a little older than me, like my friend group, or even I remember at church, I kind of preferred the adults, kind of talk to them. And I was always told, which I think is hilarious to anyone who knows me in real life. Um, I don't think I'm mature at all. I say some ridiculous things, but I heard a lot, you're so mature, and oh, you're a little adult, you're such an old soul. and That's usually a red flag of the highest order. I heard a lot of that from a lot. I still hear it a lot. And so for me, I suppose kind of hearing that, but being aware that there was a difference between me and other people around my age group that I felt very disconnected and even now um 
to my peers. Um, and it obviously, so college was, you know, a lot of people look back like, oh, the golden days, the good old years. And I'm like, call it. No, I, and we can, I know we will get into that, but there was, um, I felt a lot of disconnect and did not feel, did not, I couldn't feel very present or truly like genuine with people my age because I just, I felt that my worldview, and I guess I make sense, sense now my experience and everything um, informed my perception of the world, but um, so much so that it kind of like tainted everything else. So when people were like, let's go to this party, let's get super wasted, let's, I, I don't even know, even something just really simple, like I just... I didn't want to be a part of it, but at the same time, I didn't want everyone to know how out of place I felt, so I kind of took it to another extreme um, my second year of college. I was kind of trying to make up for um, everything that I felt that I might have missed out on my so first year. So you became year. the party girl or what? A, I wouldn't so much say the party girl. It was more like I had been with this guy for way too long, like years and years, and then... Um, we broke up and right after my freshman, so going into my sophomore year of college, um, we broke up and then um, things got kind of bad between us even after the breakup. And then I, I was still running at this time though. And so I joined the triathlon team at my school and I got, I actually did get into shape. Of course, I still thought I was fat. And I look at pictures. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I was definitely like, no, I looked, I look at pictures now and I'm like, I looked good, but I thought I didn't in any way. But I was actually really like fit. And my running pace was a lot faster. I would swim a lot. I would bike a lot. And it was really great. But I, of course, try not to think about the breakup and all the other stuff. Um, I put so much energy into triathlon training that I, uh, I was only able to do one triathlon and then I injured myself. And after I injured myself, I said, fuck this, give me all the Jameson in the world. And I just, uh, I wouldn't always drink, but it's like, I don't always drink, but when I do, it's not Dos Equis. It's 10 shots of Jameson and eight beers. So Seriously, that much? But I would say, like, on a full-on blackout night, totally. And, and my thing was, well, I'm going to blend in with all these people. And anytime anyone says shots, I'm going to be the one pouring the shots. And I'm going to be the one taking all the shots. And um, compared to a lot of my other friends, I, like, I'm, I'm taller and I'm just, like, heavier all around, I guess. And I, so then I would really take it upon myself, I guess, kind of maybe show off or I'm like, I could drink like the guys and like kind of try to keep up with them. I don't think there's a single person that, you know, does the shot challenges that isn't looking for attention. I don't think there's a single person. I, th I think it's such a common way to try to fit in. I used to try to fit in that way by, I could do more bongs than you, or, you know, yeah, looking yeah. how I'm, I'm on my eighth beer. You're yeah. on your third. Yeah. You're a wussy. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. And it was, and it's just funny, too, though, because it's like once all the attention is on me, like when I'm sober, I'm like, don't look at me type of thing. But with drinking, I realized... Because, and it's just funny now, because if I do go to a social gathering or something, I just want to hide in the bathroom. I just want to 
not <laughs> be there pretty much. And it's really hard. And so I really tried to overcompensate with that by just like drinking. And that led to a lot of bad decisions and occurrences. And so, anything, and now. Anything that you'd like to talk about? Sure. Um, I. So I was not sexually active even in my relationship um the only relationship really i i was in and i there was kind of this by your choice um by my choice and there was that catholic part of me that's like fornication is wrong and so i uh i chose not to in that i hated my body so much i'm like no one's going to see this. So I really, and I wouldn't say I was a prude about it. Definitely not. But I, I just wasn't having sex really. Um, so we had this party. I drank way more than I should have. And I don't remember much really. It's just kind of flashes, but, um, I remember doing a bunch of shots, being upstairs, drinking, and then all of a sudden the next flash I remember is I'm having sex with someone, someone I do know, um, and then the next, and all of a sudden the next flash is the following morning, and um, I wake up and I realize what happened, but I don't quite remember everything that happened and I remember going to the bathroom and realizing I was still wearing what I was wearing but I didn't have any underwear and I was like where are my underwear did he take my underwear and I was like is he one of those guys that like, <laughs> keeps the underwear I found my underwear three weeks later <laughs> where did you find it like the shoved like in the side of my bed I have no idea but I remember going to the bathroom and I was bleeding a lot and I had like bruising like near, I guess it was kind of like my upper thighs. And this guy was really <laughs> bony, I guess you can say. And I guess the all the thrusting and me, I don't know, I just, and I, I bruise kind of easily, but there was like a lot of bruising and... I don't remember, like, struggling. Like, I remember, I wouldn't even call it flirting, but I just remember, like, talking to him. And then um, at one point, I don't remember this, but there's a picture of it. There's, like, a massage train, and I'm massaging him. And he's massaging someone in front of him or whatever. And, and it was right after that picture was taken because um, one, of, one of my roommates was there. And she actually overheard me tell him, do you want to go see my room? And he said, sure. And I found out later that um, he was the designated driver with his group of friends. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I wouldn't say I stopped drinking cold turkey, but I really cut back. And in my mind, I was just like, oh, what was the thing that happened? You know, I initiated it, you know, whatever. But it was, I remember, I since I couldn't remember even what his penis looked like. I'm like, did he wear a condom? Like, did he finish? Like, I have no idea. And so I, 
I went to Planned Parenthood for Plan B because I, it's like I had no idea. And they, and they, you have to fill out a bunch of questions about, um, like if you're sexually active and maybe like how many parts, something like, I don't really remember. And I felt that maybe they would think I was lying. I'm like, it was this one time. I don't really remember. And I, I don't even really remember the whole thing. I just remember that I, I took the plan B and I was just like, okay, got that out of the way. As, as you share all of this stuff, what feelings are, are coming up for you? A lot of I'm I'm embarrassed. Um, I'm definitely embarrassed about it, and I feel like I let this happen to me. And I've always told myself, "Well, I initiated it. Like I was the one who said, do you want to go see my room? Do you want to go to my room, or something?'" And um, and I always told myself, "Well, I kind of wanted." to eventually have sex anyway so let's just get out of the way when i'm 20 and then that way we'll just i got that out of the way and um but i feel i and also feel a lot of shame about it too just kind of the way everything happened and i'm telling myself that no it wasn't rape because i was the one getting drunk. I was the one wearing a dress. Like I was the one massaging him. I was the one, let's go to my room. And so I don't want to say that it was rape. So I just feel really, I, I don't really have a word for it. And um, it's something that I haven't really let myself really try to process even now. Thank you for being honest about that, and I can assure you that there are a ton of people listening to this podcast right now who you just described their experience. And I wasn't going to, I mean, I know I shared it with you when we met earlier, but I, because I'm so embarrassed and shamed, and it's like, but at the same time, I'm like, this is why this shit keeps happening, because we don't fucking talk about it. Mm -hmm. Like, we... And we blame ourselves. It doesn't matter how drunk you are. It doesn't matter if you uh, invite uh, a guy uh, to to do anything with you. It, you know, you could be mid intercourse, and if you want to change your mind and say, "Can we stop?" It should stop. And and you know, and that that's another thing too. It's like I don't even remember. I like from what I do remember from that f one flash. I remember. I remember. I just remember burning, like a burning sensation. And like, I I remember the next day, a bunch of us, we were all super hungover and we went to the beach and I, and I had all these just bruises, you know, and I was just, it just didn't feel real to me. Like it kind of felt like a dream, but I'm like, this isn't a dream because I'm bleeding all over the place and it really hurts to even walk. It hurts when I go to the bathroom and... I just, I don't know. You know, normal, uh, consensual sex, from my experience, doesn't involve bleeding and bruising. But Also, too, then I told myself, I'm like, well, you know, like, I, I don't use vibrate, like, I never use a vibrator, I... 
or, you know, I'd never had actual, like, sex sex, so I'm like, well, isn't that normal to bleed? But, I don't know, I still, because I don't remember, you know, I'm like, I don't know, like, if I was, what I was even saying, although I guess, like you said, I mean, ultimately I was blacked out, and... I still have pictures from that night. Like, there are, like, maybe two or three pictures, and I could see it in my eye. Like, you, you know when there's pictures. It's like, oh, yeah, I was drunk. It's like, I don't even remember taking those pictures. And I, yeah. You know, I think the, the, the most important thing when you have something like that in your past is to put more of your focus on being compassionate for yourself and processing it with the therapist and working through that mean part of your brain that wants to blame yourself for all of it more than trying to play the detective Um, because so many of us think that we have to um, before we can begin healing we have to find a prosecutable smoking gun to have compassion for ourselves, and it's it keeps us stuck for years if not decades and your trust your feelings trust how you felt about that the next day when you woke up and go with that because our bodies usually don't lie to us yeah and um and that's something too um i have done therapy and that's one thing that I, with my last therapist, I just, like, com- like brushed, like, I, it was just, like, one sentence about it, and I was like, but, and I just kind of talked about something else, and I never revisited that, and again, too, because it was kind of the, I guess, denial about it, or just, um, or I think just a lot of shame, and it's like, but the fact that now it's been really coming up for me a lot and listening to the most recent episode, I forget her name, Lysa. Merritt Temple. Stewart. She's awesome. She, when she was, it, a lot of light bulbs went off for me and I was just like this, I think I know what this is. And um, so, and it is something that I, and I did actually, I did tell Robert about that night just because you know robert's your present day boyfriend yes um just for the listeners i i did tell him about that because you know if you're gonna begin to be intimate with someone or you care about someone at least for me with robert i cared enough and kind of wanted him to know the place that i was coming from regarding my sexuality and sex and intimacy that i did feel it relevant enough for me to, and I wasn't like, oh, I was raped, but I told him, and part of the reason why I don't really party parties, I told him, I was like, I definitely got that out of my system. Like, I overdid it, and so now it's kind of, it was 100, and now it's like negative 100 for me, and every now and then, like, I might go out, but it's not. Um, And now, finally, you know, if I do, like, I am able to, if I am going to drink, I could just drink a little bit and then I don't even have to get buzzed, you know. And before I'm like, well, what's the, for me, it's like, what's the point if you're not going to get wasted? And it's like, luckily that mentality has changed for me. But, um, and I, I just remember telling him and he was not very happy 
Not with you. So. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, with me, no, he was Because he sounds, from he... what you've described of him to me, he sounds like a really, really sensitive guy. He, and it sounds like cheesy to kind of keep saying, like, safe person, but he really, Robert is a really safe person, and I can, and that's a lot of with all my healing through a lot of stuff, um, you know, especially this past year. Actually, no, these kind of past two years, but Robert and I have been, you know, seeing each other for like a full year now. And there's that safety and openness and honesty that I, up until Robert, I didn't know was possible with someone of the opposite sex. Because I do, you know, I consider myself straight and um, I've always only been attracted to um, men. And prior to Robert, I, so after this whole thing happened my sophomore year um when i would have sex with someone i wasn't very present and to me i guess the best way i could describe it is for me it just felt like it was something that was happening to me and it was just kind of okay i kind of want this to get it over with and and that's it and like i wouldn't really I wouldn't really enjoy and I was just like okay like whatever and I thought that's kind of how it was always going to be with sex so I wasn't super interested really and I'm like really all of you people are doing all kinds of shit regarding sex and all this this type is of the stuff. payoff and there's this whole industry with it and this is it like really I just you know and then and then Robert happened, and I know, I feel like I actually know what intimacy is, and it's not just, you know, oh, we were intimate because we were naked in front of each other. Like, it's so much more than that. And now um, I can, and I, I don't I don't even feel embarrassed or shame saying this, but I actually really enjoy sex now, and it is something that I am very present in that moment and I'm able to experience it and, and enjoy him and enjoy me and it's just that's wonderful and I never thought I just thought oh I guess it's always just going to be this thing whatever I don't I don't care and at least presently I care <laughs> so what else would you like to share from uh from your life do you want to talk about your parents let's do it <laughs> um it's just a brief history of their lives just to maybe something i don't know what that something is um they are 13 years apart i do want to mention that um my mom is older uh, my dad came to the united states from mexico when he was 13 um, and what, when he was 13, did I say 13? No, when he was 18, when okay. he was 18. Um, and my mom was born here, uh, as I mentioned earlier. And then, uh, after her mother died, when she was about, I think eight or nine, uh, she went to a boarding school in Mexico with, um, some of her other siblings, uh, not all of them. Cause there's quite a big age gap with a bunch of them. And, she eventually came back to the States and 
she met my dad at church and they got married, had my older sister, then my brother, and then it was me. And then there was actually a miscarriage after um, me. But, and I think she was maybe four or five months pregnant. And, and that's pretty traumatic. And I've even heard her say, thank God I didn't have the other one. <laughs> so, wow, how did that make you feel? Um, I knew why she was telling me that. So I was like, yeah, thank Jesus Christ that you didn't have the other one. So, why? Why was she saying that? Because of your father? Um, yeah, and maybe even because of herself and just life in general. I, I would say. And, um, yeah, that's like the really watered down version of, uh, how I came to be, I guess. And so after my sister was born, um, my mom was pregnant with my brother and she got a knock on the door, opens the door, two detectives saying they have a warrant for an arrest for my dad for solicitation. And for soliciting a prostitute? Apparently, yeah. Or allegedly or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I didn't know about this until maybe, I, I, I don't know, maybe a few years ago and then uh, right before I, I got here uh, to this studio right now, I actually, I, I asked her a little more about it. And she said that after the detectives left, she went to the bathroom and just vomited a lot. And she cried the rest of her pregnancy. And she told me tonight that she feels that all of her emotional pain and distress was carried over to my brother. And she said, and sometimes I wonder, like, that's, she's like, I think that's why my, your brother is the way he is. Because uh, during the pregnancy that happened and I was distraught about it and when my mom did confront my dad, he denied it and said that, I guess, so he worked for the cable company for a long time. And I guess when he was out in the, out working in the field, some field job or something, he had this one coworker and I, it doesn't make, it doesn't really make sense to me also because it didn't make sense to my mom, but he just tried to put it on his coworker and it was him. It was him. He was the one, he was the one. And then my mom told him, well, look, if it was just him, then why are there, why did two detectives show up with a warrant under your name? And so when I asked my mom, like, so what happened? She's like, I don't know. I'm like, what do you mean? You don't know. And she's don't you like, want to find out? Yeah. Like, don't, what, what do you mean? You don't know like what happened? And she's like, well, he just denied it and denied it and denied it and denied it. And I figured, if he, she's like, I knew he was lying, but if he wasn't going to um, accept it or admit it, then she's like, then what was I going to do? Yeah. And she then said, because um, they were really active in, you know, church, how I had mentioned before, and they said that um, the way she viewed it was 
well, this is the cross that I have to bear. And as some of the teachings go, like you stick with your husband Mm -hmm. or wife, sickness, health, and okay, if this whole sex thing is a sickness, then so be it. And that happened. I somehow came to be. And um, after that, and you know, what what I still kind of laugh about now is that the way my mom talks about me to me, I'm pretty sure I was not planned. I wasn't supposed to be. Um, but yeah, when she was 40, she had me. And she would always say to me, especially later on in life, um, and by later I mean when I was like 12, 13, 14, and forward, that if it weren't for me, she wouldn't be alive because she would have killed herself. And, um, Which is such a terrible thing to tell a child. They, parents may think that that's a compliment, but that puts so much pressure on that child to protect their parents' feelings. It is one of the most abusive things I think you can tell a child. And, you know, and now I see that. And by me now, I mean it's only been really, I'd say about a year, really, since I've really kind of come to terms with that. And because that informed so much of how I dealt with my feelings. Because for me, I said, well, I don't want my mom to be sad. So I'm not going to be sad. Or if I'm sad, I'm just going to suck it up. I'm going to go cut. Yeah. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) And uh, basically just... And also, too, just a lot with, like, I look back now, like, the cutting and the whole food thing, so much of that was, so much of that was, you know, control, and I realize now, too, that everything else felt so out of control, but I could control, you know, those, at Mm -hmm. least those two things, so I'm like, if I can't address my feelings, because the few times I have, they've been invalidated, and it's all about my mom and not me, then... I will cut myself because it makes me feel better and I will have this whole relationship with food because I can. Mm -hmm. And that's a choice that I am making. I decide what goes in and out of my body, literally and figuratively. So it was a lot of that. And then... Um, and your mom is not somebody that has a lot of boundaries either. I mean, that's kind of evident from um, what you just shared with us. But um, <clears throat> you you had also shared with me uh, how inappropriate uh, her conversations uh, yeah. can, can be with you and the things that she shares with you. And, and it was really just recently that the light bulbs were starting to go off in your head at how fucked up it is. Yeah, she um, basically, and you know, the irony is that she used to tell me a parent isn't supposed to be your friend. They're supposed to be your parent. And I was just like, okay. So why aren't you listening to your own advice? But she would speak to me as if, I was her best friend or something. And she, 
um, my parents separated um, in 2007-ish, kind of around that time. And, but they didn't actually divorce, divorce, actually until I was in college at one point. I don't really remember when. And um, a lot of that, too, was because of the church. And she kind of stayed with him for much longer than she really should have um, because of, well, the church. And um, so regarding boundaries, why I'm, I'm saying all this is because um, after they divorced, uh, my mom wasn't seeing anyone or dating anyone for a number of years. And then she did start... She went on like a few dates, nothing wild that I know of, but then she started seeing someone in particular and I don't even know how it came up, but she would tell me about her sex life with this guy and I didn't want to hear it, but at the same time, I didn't know how to tell her I do not want to hear about all these intimate details. Um, do not want to hear that you just purchased a vibrator with him. Like, I do not need to know when I'm a very visual person. So whenever anyone tells me something, it's in my mind. So if you were to say, I went to the store, I'll picture you going to the store. So my mom's like, we purchased a vibrator. I'm like, great. I can picture you at that store purchasing a vibrator and then using that. Um, and I guess that's an example to paint a picture of that. And now, by now that I've uh, been in therapy and I did group and um, was on medication for a little bit, not anymore. Was the group through your therapist? So how that came to be, which is very, very relevant to my story, is... um. One of my friends from high school, uh, she ran the marathon um, the last year that I did it in high school. Um, it was my first year of college. She she committed suicide. And I remember that everyone was really angry that she had done that. And everyone was like, why? Like, how could this be? I don't understand. And I just remember being like, dude, I get it. I'm not, I'm not angry at you. I, I miss you, but I understand why you did that. And it's okay. I would do it if I wanted. I remember just thinking a lot right after that. I want to do it, but I, I, I can't. And a lot of it was I can't because what about my mom? <laughs> and so after her suicide, I... I think that's kind of when a lot of the, like, I kind of began to really crack. I was already kind of cracking, but that was just like, 
one of the main things. And then, you know, like the breakup happened and I, I, I was actually put through my, I don't know how, I don't know because I was paying for all my insurance, my school insurance. Cause my, um, parents didn't have any money for me to go to school. And I had, um, I was a really good student um, in high school, at least, uh, and I got a lot of scholarships and grants and stuff. And so that helped pay for the majority of my first year of college. And and I think, though, because of that, I think I was still on my mom's insurance. And anyway, I was put on, on antidepressants. Um, I didn't really talk about it with my mom, but she knew that I was going through this thing because, you know, my friend had committed suicide and I was just kind of having, you know, like a rough time with it or whatever. And um, then I wasn't even on them very long and I was just like, these aren't really working, so whatever. But I held on to them. I held on to them. And I held on to them for... I don't know, like over a year or something and flash forward to, um, I believe every school has, has this, I don't know if it's called this, but caps counseling and psychological services. Um, Most schools do. Okay. And I, I don't know if it's called that, but they, most schools do have free uh, psychological services for students. Yeah. And so at the school I went, the school I went to was just caps, I guess. And, I flash forward to the whole therapy thing. I, again, I can't really remember how it happened, but I just remember I was extremely depressed, extremely suicidal. I was failing a bunch of my classes and I just couldn't even life. Like I just, I just felt really clocked out and I knew that. I think you've just described college. (laughs) Yeah, right <laughs> all of you in college right now i'm so sorry i'm so sorry <laughs> but but it was just such a point where i just i knew that if i wasn't proactive like if i didn't get a professional in the mix that um it would all be over for me and i have this really dark joke kind of with myself and i don't really i've I've told my therapist before, I'm like, but I'm serious. I always say, um, I won't kill myself until I pay off all my student loans. <laughs> but jokes on everyone, because I'm never going to pay off my student loans. So, haha. But really. <laughs> so, I'm like, once I pay off my student loans, then you can start to worry about me, like for real. But, like, I don't want financial burden. <laughs> So I don't want to be a financial burden to anyone. So um, anyway, so and again, I don't remember what it was exactly, but I'm like, you know, if I don't do something now, like if I don't seek this help or this service, like I, I just don't know anymore. I just don't know. Do you have a I'm struck by a core of um, I don't even know what the word would be to call it, but 
like a core of recovery in you at your young age that's pretty astounding. Um, the fact that you've been through some of the trauma that you've been through, the sexual trauma, that you're able to have intimacy with Robert, um, the fact that you uh, could see when you were in college that you needed to, to see a professional, um, it's pretty... Um, it's 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 pretty inspiring to to see that that at your young age you are crossing some of the biggest hurdles that many people don't even face or begin to try to um cross until decades later this is so difficult to hear <laughs> No, deflect this that. This is so difficult to hear. Um, I know you mean what you say, and I know my story enough to know, like, yeah, it's true. Um, I have done a lot of work, and it 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 started with when I, it was my junior year, and I went to um, counseling and psychological services. I um, hadn't showered in a in a while. <laughs> Do you remember how long it was? Um, I think it was three days, which for me is like a really long time because I really need to shower every day. Like I want, and I like sweat a lot and stuff. And I just, I hadn't showered in a while. And um, I remember, I remember what I was wearing. I was wearing yoga pants <laughs> and a really baggy sweatshirt. Um, I didn't even have the energy to like put an actual shirt on. So just like a sweatshirt and like flip flops and my hair was in the same bun it had been in for like three days. And I remember looking in the mirror when I realized, okay, I'm going to go to campus, not to go to class, but to go to caps. I remember looking in the mirror and just, I already didn't like my appearance, but I was just like, this is fucking scary. And I remember putting on eyeliner and being like, that's a little better. And then why I bring up the eyeliners, because when I went into caps, um, it all ran. It just, well, it was just funny because after my like screening or whatever, the person doing my intake, or I don't know, I don't even remember who the person, what exactly. And they said, well, you know, um, I see, I see, you know, you know, you're dressed, you're not in your pajamas, even though I had slept in that outfit, like those pants forever. And, um, and, and, you know, you made some, like, you know, you're wearing makeup. So, you know, that's, that's good. And I was just like, <laughs> smell my BO lady. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> come give me a hug. That's, uh, that's how they ought to test for depression and call. They ought to have a, somebody ought to come up with a BO meter and, uh, <laughs> Okay, just but, wave a wand underneath your arms <laughs> and they'll go, oh my God, you're clinically depressed. But, um, or just ask them, when, when's the last time you washed your hair? But, um, did you feel relief at some point during that visit? So, how basically it went down, and again, I wish I could give you all the details, but I can't, it's written down somewhere. That's another thing I've been drilling since fifth grade, which has also really helped me. Um, I, from what I remember was I went in there and I had to fill out, go on a scale of one to five, you know, uh, like 
strongly disagree, strongly agree, and I, for pretty much every question, I strongly agreed with said statements, but I was so embarrassed that I agreed, so I tried to kind of downplay how much I agreed. Um, and so then they, they brought me to this room. It was the and, only test you aced in college. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> I mean, at that point. <laughs> and... I, <laughs> I like they did see me pretty quickly after I turned in yeah. that paper. So, but it makes you feel better. The first psychiatrist I went to, I caught her rolling her eyes as I was describing all of my, all of my thoughts and feelings. Oh and uh, I never had a mental health professional roll her eyes like Jesus. This guy's fucking this guy's fucked. Yeah. Oh yeah, my. It was. I had to laugh. I had yeah. to laugh. But uh, go ahead. Yeah. Um. And I remember just crying the entire time and then just saying, um, I don't like, I don't know, like two years ago, my friend committed suicide and, uh, I just like, I really miss her and I, I've just kind of not been feeling very good lately and, um, and I took out the pills that I, I had been holding on to them. It's maybe somewhere in my mind I knew these might come in handy later. And I took them out and I was like, I was on these for a little while, but they kind of didn't really work. And maybe I should try these again. And basically she kind of, she kind of cut me a deal. <laughs> if you can <laughs> cut someone a deal in that situation, she said, here's what we can do. I'll write you a prescription for some more Celexa. If you agree to come back here to speak to so-and-so. Fine. We didn't shake hands on it, but we kind of should have. <laughs> and and luckily the pharmacy, you just walk down these steps and the pharmacy's right there. And um, they gave me my prescription. And I... It's just funny because I remember taking it and waiting like two days later. I'm like, I still feel like shit. <laughs> like I. Oh, it takes weeks. Oh, I, and you know, I I didn't know that. And then, long story short, they had me meeting with. Um, oh, I do remember his name now. I won't say it, but I do remember his name now. He was a cool guy. He. Uh, he was a counselor. He, yeah, I a guess therapist. he kind of yeah. was, and he. I met with him. I think maybe three times, which I heard later like that wasn't really common he usually you just meet with him once if that and then he kind of tries to maybe like assign you to a counselor but he was really fast i look back he was really fascinated by me and he was just like nod his head a lot and then he would even say well what's fascinating is but he was actually like really interested and it was more like conversation with him but it felt good and, and nothing we really talked about was super heavy but i remember he kind of asked me like so like what have you you know, like kind of like what brought you here or what um, what have you been pretty much like doing to stay alive, I think is what he was kind of trying to ask me. And um, I did mention, you know, like running in the triathlon. I was like, but then I got injured and like, I don't know. Da -da -da. And he said, well, he's like, I think I know someone who might be good. Uh, she said I could use her name. and I'm totally going to give her a shout out. Jody Mulder. She's like, she how do you spell her last name? She is M-U-L-D-E-R. Oh, I know her from the X-Files. So, well, there you go. <laughs> and uh, he said, uh, he's like, you know, there's one I think might be a good fit. Uh, she, he's like, I think she's like training for a triathlon right now. And uh, pretty sure she's running the Chicago Marathon. I was like, yes, 
I, so I was like, speak no more. Take me to her lair. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I started to see Jody, and I was on medication. And this was, by this point, it was already, like, spring. I remember I was pretty reluctant. Like, I don't really remember too much about our first sessions, but I do remember telling her... Because I think she had said something about, like, how would I feel about getting rid of, like, my razor blades? And I was just like, this lady, like, there's no way in hell. And I, like, I think I even told her I might have been, like, sassy with her or something. I was like... I was like, you know, like, I said, someone could come to my house and remove them. I'm like, cool story. I'm just going to walk over, march on over, maybe run to CVS and buy more razor blades. Like, that's dumb. But something like that. And I, I wasn't sure, but I just remember, though, feeling she gave me this. I guess it was maybe it was some sort of comfort or something. But I knew in my mind, you know, that, that turning point. That switch I goes spoke on. Of, I was just like, I... I think this might be it. Yeah. And um it's like a pathway in our life opens up and we and we see it and 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 there's a light where there hadn't been light. Is that your your non incure head. That that's how I've experienced before. Absolutely. And, and that to me that's hope. Yes. That is hope. You don't know when it's going to come. No. You don't know what form it's going to take. But it's almost like the universe on a cellular level uh, takes its hand and rub your, rubs your shoulders a little bit mm-hmm. and says, buddy, it's, it's going to get better. Yeah. And I, and of course, I didn't even recognize really the weight of it, but I just knew that something, you know, was going to change. And then um, summer happened. And then once, once fall rolled around, um, I would still meet with her. But I guess how it works through, I guess, CAPS or at least at the school I went to or something is like you kind of only have a certain amount of sessions and usually they maybe try to like refer you to someone else or something. But we were able to meet like a handful of times and then she told me that she was running um, a group um I won't give the name of the group just because I don't want to like give away uh, everything That's exactly, fine. but um, really clever name though. <laughs> and um, anyway, um, she said, I, I think you might be a good fit. And I really wasn't sure. And I was thinking to myself, I don't, I'm like, I don't tell this lady too much stuff anyway so cause i was kind of like I was, I was pretty reluctant i was like well it makes her think but clearly she saw in me you know that ability that's something and um so i said okay i'll give it a shot and um i remember sitting there for that first group meeting i ended up staying in that group all um all three quarters and um how you always describe it on the podcast is just the amount of love and support and again that kind of relief i was talking about earlier it's like where you're just that fresh air that you didn't know you really needed until you go in there i just remember i would get a lot of adrenaline before walking in the door 
And I would get I'd get nervous because I'm like, I know it's about to get real right now, but after a few times, I was like, I'm so ready for this. Like, I need this. I want this. This is where I can be. Be me. Be me. Not have to hide. And I did hide a lot of stuff. I didn't say a lot of the things that were really going on, but I shared enough. Like, I, I cried so much, which felt so good. And I, because my... That probably saved your life, those oh, tears. Totally. Totally. And, um, and, you know, like with, uh, Jody too, like definitely she, um, you know, she like facilitated the whole thing and everyone in that group, I'm like, too bad. I, too bad confidentiality exists. I just want to like give them all a shout out, but I, you know, I won't and I can't, but, um, I, I don't, I don't, I still don't have really the words for it to really describe that. But I, a fear though that I did have, um, was I didn't want anyone to pity me. Still don't want anyone to pity me. Um, and because of that, though, I... And also, too, because a lot of my shame or whatever, I didn't share as much as maybe I could have in the ways that it maybe could have helped some of my peers, maybe a little more. Um, but but you're, you know what? You're ready when you're ready to share stuff. You're yeah. ready when you're ready. So don't... That's... Don't second guess yourself for that. Some people it takes years. Some people puke it out the first week. Mm-hmm. That's true. That is true, actually. Thank you. Um, but as an example, um, I waited until our last quarter, the absolute last session, the last, I think it was like, 10 minutes when we're all going around the circle, kind of final thoughts. We're all kind of like exchanging gifts we made each other and stuff. Really sweet stuff. Um, I'm like, I'm like sobbing and I'm telling them like, you don't even know like how much you saved me. And I'm like, but really. And then I, cause I had never mentioned anything about my self injury. And, um, that was still a thing going on for me at the time. Although it definitely did lessen a lot when I, um, during that time, absolutely. And I told them, I shared a little bit about that. And, you know, cause a few other people in that group, they shared about that. And I always would reach out to them right away and, you know, like say something. And I felt like passionate about that subject. It's like, gee, I wonder why, you know, <laughs> but I wouldn't share that. Why do you think, what do you think the fear was about sharing that you also cut? pity even though that's it wasn't even about that no one even gave me that's that impression. how deep your fear of pity was was that you couldn't see it as bonding you would see no. it as yeah as pity and just shame about yeah. it you know i was always really proud of them and would like totally cry when they would talk about it but i i i just i couldn't i shared that and then um there was someone who had one of the quarters joined the group and this person got really real and shared that their stepfather had sexually assaulted them. And then right after that, that person stopped showing up. And then I, I told them, I was like, and you know that person who stopped showing up? I was like, well, that happened to me too. So... Yeah, 
And then, <laughs> like, I, I don't think I quite said it like that. And I just remember sharing that and just crying more. And I just, like, really kept emphasizing, like, you guys really saved me, you know. And it's like, sometimes I just kind of say that. It just sounds so cheesy. Like, you saved me. But they they really did because that disconnect that I was talking about, um, that, you know, I still feel now it was I never felt that for a second when I was with them and it was maybe like six of us or something and I don't know to me that's kind of a lot of people <laughs> and I could and you know our our stories in so many ways were different but kind of how we were coping and kind of trying to navigate through that um was very similar and I I just I felt connected for one of like definitely one of the first times in my life like to someone like around my age or my age group and I was just like it's possible and like other people other people's brains are kind of working kind of like mine mm -hmm. um I'm like I feel so sorry for you but um and look at you now you're you're on a podcast using your real name and talking about these things just a, a couple of years later. Yeah. And, um, how uncomfortable was that compliment? I twitching my foot. So <laughs> I can't say, no, that's not true. Cause here we are, you know, I mean, that's but, pretty amazing, Monica. Um, that's pretty amazing. When I was 23, there's no fucking way I could have. Well, first of all, I wasn't even aware of all the things that were painting me, but I couldn't have, I couldn't talk publicly about any of that stuff. I do have this overwhelming fear that what if I get back to that place in my junior year when I'm wearing my yoga pants and my really baggy sweatshirt and I haven't showered and I, you know, all I want to do is just die. You know, I'm, I don't want to be there anymore because it was so miserable and I, I just, I don't want to, go through that ever ever again i don't want to be in that place i don't want to keep hurting myself in the ways that i hurt myself and um and consequently you know kind of hurt the people around me too um because i know i could be a very difficult person to love um especially around that time and um and now too i was never I never I was never really angry never really um felt a lot well there was anger but I didn't quite know that it was anger and it's not until again recently where I'm allowing myself to be angry about the things that happened in my past um and I'm okay with that and I'm not really assigning meaning to that like well I'm angry oh I guess this means I'm a fucked up like per I mean wait I am a fucked up person but you know like doesn't make me a terrible person you know and I, I'm able to work through that now I don't know how anybody can heal with not experiencing uh, a period of anger uh, and I think most of us experience recurring periods of of anger mm -hmm. um, I think it's a natural part of of the healing process and I'm usually wary of anybody that says you know oh I just forget I just forgave that person and I never felt angry about it I just you know yeah at 
maybe they can, but I, I always feel like, well, they haven't fully dealt with it yet. Yeah, because I look back now and the people in my life that I have forgiven, um, I did, I look back and I, there was a, a period of anger. Um, I'm like, should I talk about it? If you want to. <laughs> like, I'm just staring at the little Dalmatian on my journal. Um, yeah, so it's just funny because I came in here thinking I was going to talk about this one thing like right away and it was going to be the whole focus, but, um, it, I, I, it is relevant to my story, um, for several reasons, really, but, um, and yet on so many, in so many ways, it's not defining me in the ways that it was before, but, um, I, there was a family member of mine who did sexually abuse me and I was 12 and it, um, I thought it was an isolated incident, but it wasn't, well, there's one isolated, isolated incident that I do remember, but, um, I think there was, there's maybe a little more than that when I was younger, but that just kind of sort of really messed a lot of things up for me and kind of how I viewed the world. Um, how can it not? Although, I mean, how did I view the world prior to that? I don't, I don't really remember, but I was, it's no coincidence that a lot of my, uh, the way I was acting or my behaviors were, you know, in line with that time frame. Um, you know, I said that I first caught myself around fifth or sixth grade and the isolated, isolated incident that I remember, I believe it was, it was August. So August, right before going into seventh grade. Um, and there's just, I've been, I just have so many journals that I, I just have not been able to uh, really go back and read all of them. Also, too, because it's super, it is really difficult to read a lot of the stuff that I um, wrote about. Because I was actually in way more pain than I really realized. And again, too, it was just kind of stuffing all of that pain away. Um, but through my writing, I could see, and I, I wouldn't even write so much about it because I wanted to like protect the people involved or whatever but I um um kind of lost my train of thought now that I'm kind of talking about this um protect people writing um sixth grade I, I kind of lost my train of thought I think you were saying that it was uh, no coincidence that you were starting to feel these things oh, around right. this time. Journal, yeah, and there's a huge shift because I, I went from like writing about today at school, Rick passed me a note and it said, "Hey, ask Lauren if she wants to go on a date with me," or you know, like something mm -hmm. I don't know, something like that. But really, or today was a good day, or religion class was funny because we had sex ed only we didn't <laughs> like, I don't know, just something, I don't know, something like that. And then it went from that and just, I was almost going to say petty stuff, but I guess just like normal, innocent, yeah. childlike things to, 
just such a shift all of a sudden it got very dark very fast and uh went from all of that to i don't want to be here anymore i don't know how much longer i'm going to make it pretty sure i won't even make it to high school so it doesn't matter what high school i go to um i hate my life like i just a lot of negativity um in my writing and of course in my head and um and a lot of that was you know very inward and you know it was the food stuff it was you know the cutting stuff and just a lot of that for a lot of years really and why i still feel like it is relevant for me is because that person was able at first that person denied it and then it reached a point where that person could no longer deny it and years later uh they were able to apologize and actually own up to it and not just like oh i'm sorry can we be friends or something but that has played a, a key role in really my whole healing process really because what did it feel like when that person apologized there were half-assed apologies before that and i was like cool story like i know you're not sorry um to once i knew that they were truly sorry and that they were actually like sick like a sick person uh not just i did this thing out of malice but like I was able to see that they were, like, sick, I guess you can say. Um, I don't know if that's really the right word, but whatever. <laughs> um, I, th that's when I wasn't really, I wasn't holding on to it as much as I was. Like, I was able to begin to very, 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 very slowly move forward i guess you can say and mm -hmm. and it's still it it comes up a lot obviously but um i get i have a lot of dreams about being raped or being watched or being followed and by um, this person or by anybody by anybody really it comes up in dreams a lot i mean definitely by that person too like i do have dreams about it but um about that person but also just it coming up a lot in dreams was it was very frustrating for me and that was another thing too um i had a lot of sleeping issues after that um after the incident not the apology yeah right yeah, yeah. um uh, and then even uh, even after the apology but um and there was all other stuff that that you had shared with me that you swept under the rug that was in and of itself horrifying yeah um you know what? I, I had told myself I'm going to be as real and raw. So, okay, I'm just going to time to get real. I almost feel like grabbing the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> as long as you don't drop it when you're done. Yeah, all right. <laughs> I'm out. Yeah. So that person was my father. And um, it, 
yeah. <laughs> the end. We're done. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so I'm like, where do I go now that I said that? Um, where do I go after I said, now that I said that? I don't, Wherever um, you want to go. I, there's so much irony, I feel like, in this story. <laughs> well, on so many levels, but one being that I think if, I know I kind of even kind of think in the lens of like, maybe like a therapist, like on paper, like this girl, uh, was molested and she cut herself and she had eating issues. Okay, fine, an eating disorder. <laughs> she suicidal ideation. Yeah, all this stuff. And uh, the person who molested her was her father. So you would kind. I think you would maybe kind of think that a lot of my maybe. I don't know, like, issues or, like, at the core of a lot of things. It's, like, all this stuff, like, oh, my dad, my dad, my dad, my dad. And yet, like, the kind of irony is that so much of my current struggles are with my mom and her lack of boundaries, even though in the beginning it was, like, my dad. And he was able to eventually admit it own up to it and just flat out say and he has said it like and I quote I know I fucked up your life you know and um and he still apologizes and it's kind of you know and I was very cynical for a very long time and like people don't change and blah 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 and but he really who he was then to who he is now like you would not there's no way in hell, like, my 7th, 8th grade self, you know, if you would have told me that, like, kind of reading some of the remarks I was making in my journals at that time, you couldn't have, like, my future self couldn't have come to me and said, yo, he's actually sorry, and you're actually going to be okay. I would have laughed in my own face and just, I just would have not believed that, like, for a moment. And, um, and yet I'm at this place where it's a very bold word, I think, to use, but I'm, I'd say I'm, I've made peace with it. Like I'm at peace with what happened, um, before just the mere thought of it would give me diarrhea or if like I was watching TV or something and would hear the word like molest or incest. Oh my God. Like I could not hear the word incest. Like there's just no way. I just, I couldn't speak the word. I just, um, there, there's just no way. And now I, um, <laughs> I would, another part of my kind of coping thing that I would do is I would, I lived really close to a Barnes and Noble. So I would, go to Barnes and Noble for hours and hours and hours on end. And I would um, go to the self-help section and go to the books about like sexual abuse and incest. And I would 
I would grab like a stack of maybe like six of them. I would take him over to the coffee area, like make sure no one was oh, around sure. me, like grab other books and like put them over or like mm-hmm. make sure I grab kind of the smaller ones. Again. I'm like, no one's going to know what I'm reading. And I would find the chapter or the pages or whatever that would say um, not so much symptoms, but like maybe signs that someone you loved has been abused or something. And I had like all of them, all of them. And I was like, this person's wrong. Yeah, they have a PhD, but this person's wrong. Next book, same thing. Yeah, but, well, it was a little different, so it's actually really not that. And I don't know. I, it's like, okay, the next stack of books, next stack of books. And I was like, this, okay. Were, was it because at that point in your mind you didn't think that what had happened to you was valid or you didn't want to believe that it, it, it had affected you? All of the above. All okay. of the above. Because um, this was, you know, prior to the forgiveness piece, too. Because right. I feel like, you know, if someone's not going to own up to the thing, then is it even a thing kind of type of, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's another thing, too, now, though, when it comes to forgiveness. If someone does something, especially if I feel someone tricked me in any type of way, because the way it happened, I was definitely tricked into that whole situation. If I feel like someone tricked me and then they try to later cover it up or apologize and i feel like they're not sorry i do feel that rage it's an extension of the abuse i i do definitely feel very angry especially if someone's like trying to say sorry just so they can make nice with me or something like i i will not i cannot like it's very difficult for me and a lot of people close to me they know that if for some reason like if something does you know pun intended i guess rub me the wrong way (laughs) if that wasn't a mental illness happy hour moment i i I don't know i don't know i don't know of one that exists um then um i will i feel myself turning really red right now I'm i'm gonna have a sip of water I'll just get people know I'm like, don't even think about even trying to apologize for me until one, you actually know why I'm upset and two, you're actually sorry. And that's just like there there are very few things that I have a short fuse for. And that's definitely one of them. Oh, like man. when something triggers us, it is shit. it goes so deep. It zero to a hundred. So, zero oh. to a hundred, and just red. Just, uh, just. How you say you know you see red? Like I see red. And then two, aside from the anger and shaking, and then I always get diarrhea and I get so angry. I'm like, but you're the one who fucking pissed me off, and I'm the one with diarrhea right now. Like, fuck. Oh God, I'm glad I I missed out on the diarrhea gene. I just <sighs> punch people because it's always hockey. You know, I don't punch mm-hmm. people outside mm-hmm. of, but it's been years. It's mm-hmm. been years since I since I punched people. But mm-hmm. when I started making that connection between who they reminded me of, and it was normally my mom, mm-hmm. they were doing something. I was being tricked. That you know, maybe they were um, one that really tapped into it was uh, women getting away with um, doing something that was uh, wrong and using their gender uh, to kind of hide behind it. And I I didn't understand why at the time that bothered me so much. And then one day it dawned on me. It's, oh, because that's your mother hid her access to your body as a 
as a mom to to abuse you and um that that helped me that helped me to understand okay well now what can i do about that situation well extricate myself from any situation where somebody reminds me yeah of of that instead of saying oh well you know just don't react that way now, mm-hmm. triggers are fucking powerful yeah, man it, and you know and that's another thing too is if if there's like someone and again very recently I've cut a lot of people out of my life and I realize because if I especially if it's someone who you know might like keep saying that they're sorry or keep something but not really trying to be proactive about changing or if our dynamic is just really not working or just like something I'm okay now with recognizing you know this isn't okay I cross a lot of boundaries with you and vice versa. Our relationship is actually really toxic. Mm-hmm. Like once I'm able to really realize that, then that's it. It's very freeing too when you when you yes. come to that conclusion. Yeah, it's you know, there may be some guilt involved, but oh it's, yeah, it's um a lot I, less guilt now though I would say. And yeah. I think it's one of those things that it's that it's the beginning of self advocacy, which is so hard yes. for people in general but especially for survivors but it's one of the things that i think helps us grow emotionally and helps our esteem helps our confidence in the world because uh once you in many ways i think that facebook is great for that because if you can get get used to unfriending people without guilt uh that's good training wheels for uh, for the real world absolutely absolutely well, I appreciate um, all of the, the, the stuff that you've shared. Let's do some. Uh, was there anything else that you wanted to uh, um, to share I, about? Did you want to share some fears and loves? I I do. I I do have some written down. Um, I also, too, I do really want to give a shout out to Rama and her episode. Um, Love Rama. That just... Um, Again, a lot of, and it was funny. It was actually, I was on my lunch break. I was running and listening to that episode or part of that episode. It was a long episode. I couldn't hear the whole thing during my lunch, but a lot of light bulbs really went off for me. And I, so many aspects of her story, I thought it was just like an, certain pieces and kind of some of her reactions to a lot of things. It was the same exact thing for me. And I, and that was, yeah. Thank you, Rama, for mm-hmm. sharing that. I, I did want to. I did want to definitely uh, say that. Give me some fears. Okay. They. Okay. I fear that I will one day get so badly injured that I will never be able to run again. I will then get utterly depressed, fall back into weird eating behaviors, and will consequently live in a perpetual state of feeling like I'm twelve. <laughs> That's a good one. I have that one except for the the eating behaviors. I just have a fear that I'll injure myself. I won't be able to play hockey anymore and my weight will absolutely balloon and then my depression will become even worse. Yeah. yeah. Give me another one. Um, I fear that someone will one day call me out on my lack of maternal instincts when I am around said person's kid. They will then ask me why I'm so nervous around their child and I won't know what to say and will just start crying uncontrollably. I won't know how to explain myself and will have to literally run away. Why would you be anxious around the child? Because you don't want to have kids? You don't like kids? I don't want to have kids and they make me so nervous because I... 
hate to say every time, but it's every time, especially if I have to interact with a kid or if it's kind of inevitable, uh, especially if I see their innocence, like I get so like sad and I'm just like, your innocence is not going to last. And that kind of almost illogical, although maybe kind of logical part of my brain says like, Someone's going to do something to you that will wipe that smile off your face. <laughs> <laughs> but really, <laughs> I get jealous when I see when I see kids that that have a beautiful relationship with uh, their their caregivers or their you know any kind of family member where you can see there's a joy and a freedom. Um, and you can see that in, you just know there's a yeah, th- there's that yeah. innocence there. I get. Uh, I, I feel sadness too because I'm like, what would that have been like to have yeah. experienced that? There, there's that too. But then, so when I do see that too, it's, it's also that thing that I just said. But also, I'm just like, so who's gonna, who's gonna ruin you? It's gonna be your mom. It's gonna be your dad. It's gonna be that one person. You're like, who's gonna really? Who's gonna start it? Who's gonna set the tone for the rest of your life right now? Because clearly, it hasn't happened yet. Who's gonna dim this annoyingly bright candle? <laughs> It's burning my eyes. Uh, give me another one. Um, and I love how detailed they are. You know, I when I ask people to do the fears and loves, I always say, you know, please the the more detailed uh, and and specific, the better. And uh, very few people uh, take me up on that. And, no, and you I have. I appreciate it. I got you covered, and we kind of touched on this, but. Um, I fear that I will get explosive diarrhea in a setting where I am unable to utilize a restroom, so I will shit my pants, everyone will see it, everyone will smell it, and everyone will slowly inch away from me without saying a word. That's kind of fantastic. Almost every time I'm in uh, one of my support groups, at least the mixed ones, I don't get it when I'm in the men-only one, but when I'm in the mixed one, Every single time, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to fart, and everybody's going to hear it. And mm-hmm. I, I haven't to mm-hmm. date, and I've been mm-hmm. it for years, yeah. but that's always something <laughs> that, I, that I think about. Yeah. You know, I'll reach over to grab my water and, uh-huh. or, you know, or something else, and, and I'm, oh, that yeah. just... Uh, and I think if it did ever happen, what I would do is I would stand up, I would say, I'm going to own that, and I would take a bow, because I think yes. that would be the only way yeah. to not be... And not even say sorry or yeah, yeah right. I right. think that would be the only way that I could come back to that yeah. room and not feel yeah. um, weird. Yeah, I would still feel weird, <laughs> but I would I would feel like I can face those people again. And they will say I smelled Paul Gilmore. <laughs> <laughs> Give me another one. Um, again. Um, I fear that I will get extremely depressed to the extent that I will sabotage and shatter every meaningful relationship I have. I somehow won't know that it's happening and will only realize that I ruined everything once it's too late. Oh, that's a great one. I think a lot of us have that one. Um, Give me one more fear and then let's do some loves. Okay. Um, Oh, I fear that I will accidentally run over someone's dog. It will turn out that the dog was a family dog and was the glue that was holding the family oh, together. Oh, wow. You went even deeper. Normal for me, it's just that I'm afraid I'm going to hit a dog, but you you took that to the extreme. That's great. <laughs> and by great, I mean horrible. Uh, no wonder you're shitting yourself half the time. <laughs> My God, your your anxieties and your fears are so detailed. Uh, let's do, Let's do some loves. Okay. 
Um, I love that moment during a baseball game when your team makes an incredible play and all the strangers around you start cheering and high-fiving you. You don't even know these people, but you all know that you share that same joy and passion in that moment. Oh, that is a great one. That is a great one. Um, I love going on a cold late night run. I love being able to see my breath in the crisp air and feel the coldness move through the parts of my body that aren't covered. I enjoy the hot shower I take after my body has completely cooled down to the point where I am shivering. I love how relaxed yet accomplished I feel standing in that steaming hot shower. It is the best. The hot shower after exercise is the and absolute... And that cool down too when you start getting cold again. Oh my God. And the endorphins, because that's when, for me, that's when the endorphins are at their peak. And that's when I love to then turbo it with a cup of tea. And yeah, okay. it's like, if I could feel that way... All the time, it's I there. I wouldn't need to nap every day from yeah. four to six. Yeah, yeah. That that what a great description. Oh, thank you. My favorite. My favorite as a kid was when the ponds uh, froze over, mm-hmm. uh, and we go play hockey. You know, we get up at eight in the morning and we'd walk down the railroad tracks to the to the ponds. It was like you know maybe a half mile walk, and we would skate in, literally until the sun went went Mm -hmm. down and a lot of times it was zero out Uh so you can imagine how numb your nose your fingertips and the tips of your toes were and then you come home and you take a shower and the shower because you've been so cold all day your your the parts that of you that had been cold would feel like they were on fire in Mm -hmm. the in the warm Mm -hmm. shower water Mm -hmm. but then eventually you'd start to feel them again and you would get out and you would eat and you would be so relaxed and the food tasted so good yes. and yes. you would just be like a noodle. Yeah. Just like a noodle. Yeah. And those are one of those are some of my favorite memories from from childhood. Yeah. Was, was just being on that pond for eight hours or however however long. Yeah. Yeah. Give me give me another one. Um I love the amount of comfort I experience when a book, show, or movie makes me cry. Those tears often come from a place I was too unable to articulate or comes, come to terms with, yet that book, show, or movie was able to speak to me on such an intimate level that I was finally able to cry about it. That's a great one. You're damn good at this. Give me, give me another uh, love. Okay. Um... I love being able to leave my therapist's office with a huge smile on my face. I, I That feeling that you have, I wish that I could give it to people that have never experienced it before. That exactly. are on the verge of taking their lives yes. or, you know, can't get out of their addiction because they truly believe it'll, it'll never get better. Um, but it. It can. And, you know, and it's kind of that whole thing that, and I I get it, too, because when you're in that, it's like, it won't always feel this way. Like, you're convinced. Yes, it will. It will always feel this way. It will always suck. And some therapist doesn't want to hear my sob story. Yeah. False, 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 false. And you believe that what that person is telling you is true for their lives, Mm -hmm. just not your life. Just not your life. Exactly. Exactly. Give me one more, love. Um, okay, this, Okay. To all you dog lovers out there. Um, I love dogs and everything about them. I love how stoked my roommate's beagles get to see me when I get home from work or from a run. I love when their entire bodies shake from the ferocity of their tail 
wagging. I love the sound of dog paws moving across wooden floors. I love when Robert's dog is so excited to see me that she pees. I love how in tune with emotions certain dogs can be, and I love how unconditional their love and loyalty is. What a great one to end on. Monica, thank you, uh, first of all, for being a, a regular listener, but uh, thank you for um, thank you for contacting me. Um, and thank you for being so open and honest on the on the podcast. I think a lot of the stuff that you shared um, is going to help a lot of people. And I know that that initial um, correspondence that you had to me when I was in that place of feeling really insecure about what I'd shared, um, it, it felt like a lifeline because I was really judging myself for it. And uh, that meant a lot to me. Thank you. I Thank you. Now go shit yourself. Many, many thanks to, uh, to Monica. I hope you enjoyed that, uh, that conversation as, as much as I did. Um, boy, you were really covered the gamut of, uh, of issues. And, um, yeah, many, many thanks to, um, to her. Um, before we take it out with some, some surveys, I want to remind you that there are a couple of different ways to support the show if you feel so, uh, inclined. You can support us financially by going to our website, mentalpod.com. You can make a one-time PayPal donation, or my favorite, you can become a monthly donor for as little as five bucks a month. It's super easy to set up, um, and once you do, you don't have to worry about it until you decide uh, that you uh, want to cancel, which, why would you? Uh, or uh, you need to update your credit card. So, uh, and you can, I think I said you can do it for as little as five bucks a month, and that uh, means the world to me. And um, you can also support us by shopping at Amazon through our search portal. Um, they give us a couple of nickels, and it doesn't cost you anything. And you can support us non-financially by going to iTunes, writing a nice review, and giving us a good rating. That helps a lot. And uh, spreading the word about the podcast through social media. That really, really helps. And... Um, so there you have that. Let's get to the surveys. I hadn't, I haven't done any of the being hospitalized surveys in a while, so I wanted to do a group of these. Um, and I like the group I've chosen because I think they give um, a good feel for the breadth of experiences that people have um, having been hospitalized. Um, for mental issues, not hospitalized for uh, physical issues. Uh, this is filled out by AJ, and um, she writes, it, uh, it was awful. The patients were mean, conceited, and bullied me in my vulnerable state. Um, not so hot mess said it helped tremendously. It was the first and only time I've ever felt safe to be completely transparent, 100% myself with no fear of judgment. I never realized how exhausted I was from filtering my true self until I no longer had to. I was terrified to be admitted, but once I was, I never wanted to leave. This is filled out by Butterfly, who writes, um... As a patient, it did not help, but I was able to escape reality for a few days, and that was refreshing. Uh, kinda craving a donut in Kansas, writes, uh, it definitely could have had the potential to help, but I was so terrified of missing too much work in school that I lied my way into an early discharge. I've really perfected the art of appearing well when I am so extremely unwell. Uh, okay says that it made him feel uh, incarcerated. 
uh, oops, writes, uh, I've been hospitalized 10 times total in three different f- facilities, and one of them, the only water provided in between meals was in a small pitcher with small cups, and you had to go stand by the desk to drink. I was 17 and emotionally an- and extremely anxious. I came out severely dehydrated. In another place, I asked to talk to someone in a moment of severe, severe emotional distress. The nurse did not want to talk to me and barely helped at all. I lied my way out in three days. However, the third place, I was very well treated and cared for. The nurse were always, nurses were always there to help, and the doctors were able to get me stable and send me home. No lying necessary. It's really amazing, the, the um, variety of experiences. And you know, I've probably said this before on the podcast, but um, it seems like the thing that I see over and over on the being hospitalized survey, the two really, really key things that make for a positive experience is um, the attentiveness uh, and the, the compassion of the staff and the willingness of the patient. Those, um, yeah. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Down in Kokomo. And she is straight in her 20s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Uh, She's never been sexually abused, but she's been physically and emotionally. She writes, I come from an immigrant family, and my mom and dad went through some crazy shit to get here. I know there are a lot of skeletons in their closets, and they are suffering from extremely suppressed emotional trauma, which, of course, was taken out on me as I grew up. I've had a meat cleaver slammed down an inch from my hand for not cleaning my room, and my mom acting as if she was going to drive her car into a building and kill us all because I was, quote, not a good child. She was literally going about 70 miles per hour in a neighborhood road, and sometimes I wonder if I had said anything at all if she would have really done it. My dad was physically present but emotionally absent. He made money and put food on the table and never wanted anything to do with us past that. He was extremely distant and is one of the most painful relationships I have, even more so than my abusive relationship with my mother. Not just my parents. I know my older sister must have gone through some abuse as a child as well because she took it out on me too. When I was 16, she punched me in the face, took off my seat belt, and tried to shove me out of a moving car in the middle of a highway. I can't even remember what I said. Now that I'm an adult and have put in considerable amount of miles between me and them, they all seem to have dealt with their issues and calmed down quite a bit. They've come together as a happy family and constantly try to pull me in. There's just too much pain and I constantly struggle with disowning them completely or staying in contact and pretending like nothing has ever happened. Pause. Sip of tea. Um... Any positive experiences with the abusers? Yes, my mom can be so fucking awesome. There are times where she has been so maternal. I've forgiven everything she has ever done, but I will do something like gain weight and it gets thrown back in my face. My sister, now that she is a mother herself, has changed a lot. She's not as cruel as before, but she will sneak something in that reminds me exactly why I wanted nothing to do with her before. Darkest Thoughts Now that I am an adult, all of those shameful thoughts that have been worked through in therapy and have not surfaced in years, um, 
have been, oh, have been worked through in therapy and have not surfaced in years. But as a child, I often fantasized about having sex with my father, knowing I had personally murdered my mother or she had just been killed. I used to feel so disgusting and less than a human being for having these thoughts. And to be honest, I am cringing as I write this. Well, you know what I always say. We have no control over what thoughts or feelings pop into our head. Uh, Darkest Secrets. I was extremely sexual at a really young age. I've had sex in dangerous places with dangerous people. I've had sex for drugs, validation, attention. For a long time, it was the only way I felt alive. My therapist believes that I have repressed memories, but I am still too terrified to go there. My sexual past keeps me from feeling like I belong in this society and that I am not fit to interact with, with people. You couldn't be more wrong about that. I think finding a group of people to open up to about that would, in fact, help you feel even more deeply bonded uh, to people. Just the opposite. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Having a gangbang with a bunch of guys that treat me like I am nothing but a sex object. It scares me that I still desire this and makes me feel uh, disgusting. Uh, Embrace it. Embrace it. Uh, What, if anything, would you like to say to someone that you haven't been able to? Um, I was very sexually mature at a young age, and I feel like I basically forced old boyfriends into sex when they weren't ready. It is too hard for me to call this rape, but I feel like that is what I did. They lost their virginities to a disgusting, used, broken person, and I cannot forgive myself for this. Um, You know, my thought as as I read this is, I think that, that, and this is just my opinion because I'm just a jackass that tells dick jokes. But therapy helped me with many, many things. But overcoming shame, nothing helped that. Like going to support groups and hearing people that had similar stories as mine, similar pasts as mine. And that really helped alleviate the shame. And shame is so fucking toxic. I think you should, um, if you're listening to this, uh, anybody that experiences shame, uh, read the book uh, Healing the Shame That Binds by John Bradshaw. Um, but shame can really, really keep us imprisoned in um, terribly low self-esteem and feeling cut off from other people. And it, it just breaks my heart that, that you're stuck in that place right now. Um, anything you'd like to say to someone you haven't been able to? Um, oh, you, I just read that one. What, if anything, do you wish for uh, to not hate myself? No matter how much progress I make in my life, I cannot hide the fact that I absolutely hate myself and it makes thoughts of suicide so normal that I cannot imagine a life without them. Have you shared these things with others? Only with my therapist, but even then, uh, it has been very limited. How do you, you know, and the other thing uh, about support groups is, man, when you hear somebody share something that you have been keeping secret your whole life or thoughts or feelings that you've always had, it is so freeing to know that it's it's safe to, to share that part of yourself. Um, and the other thing that I want to say about uh, support groups is I got an email from somebody, uh, it was actually part of a survey, and they said, you should qualify, uh, Paul, that that all support groups aren't great and uh, because uh, this person had been to some ones that were that were not good and um, I, I think that goes without saying they're only as good as the people that are in them um, but my experience has been that the majority of, of support groups uh, I have tried have been worthwhile 
and um, try a half dozen before you make up your mind about about anything. I swear I'm going to stop commenting on this one. Um, how do you feel after writing these things down? I feel stranger, strangely relieved. I backspaced and rewrote so much of this survey, but it's out now. I'm terrified to click done and let this loose in the world, but after writing this, I feel like it's time for me to talk to my therapist about my sexuality, and it feels pretty awesome to be ready for that. Um, anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Bro, please go to therapy. I did not start until I was 25 and wish I had started sooner. Don't be afraid to cut off family friend and friends. Don't be afraid of divorce or even if you end up alone. You need to do you. Don't worry about everyone else. High five. Do we go up top for the high five? No. We're going to mix it up. We're going to go down low. Down low high five on that. This is an awful moment filled out by Callie, and she writes, Last Valentine's Day, my narcissistic sweetheart took me to dinner and to see a play. We decided to take a few photos in front of the Empire State Building, which was lit up in red and white for the holiday. When we got home, he got mad at me for asking when he was coming to bed. It was Valentine's Day, after all. The kids were at my mom's, and it wasn't unreasonable to assume that we would be romantic. Um... I did not fully understand the extent of his narcissism until he posted that evening on Facebook. Instead of posting the really nice photo we took together, on Valentine's Day, he posted a selfie. Fantastic. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself filling this out at work. She is pansexual. She's 21. Um... Oh, about her sexuality, she writes, cannot come out to either parent and I'm very hurt by having to hide this from them. As well, as well you should. Even though I'm sure, you know, it's, we shouldn't take things personally because it's the other person's issue, but how can you not when it's your parent and it's, they're judging who you are. Uh, she was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. I think that's pretty obvious. Um, never been the victim of sexual abuse. Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. She doesn't specify. Uh, she's been emotionally abused. My father was physically abusive uh, to, vi to my developmentally disabled brother, but very rarely to me, and I still feel guilt about it. He used religion to scare, influence, and guilt me, and I have intense religious anxiety from it. Thankfully, we only shared a home with him for the first few years of our lives, but he has negatively impacted both of us for sure. My mother is well-intentioned but neglectful. I spent most of my childhood helping her raise my brother and missed out on a lot of relationships for the sake of being a mini-parent. My brother's development is definitely stunted from abuse, and he has started physical fights with me when frustrated, which is very upsetting for both of us, sometimes while he is naked, which scares me in a different way. Any positive experiences with the abusers? My father spoiled me when I was very young, but the memories are tinged with guilt when I contrast them with how badly he treated my brother. My father is older now and clearly suffered abuse at the hands of his own father, which he has blocked out. I can't muster up the energy to be mad at him anymore. He's just a weird, sad old man that I feel sorry for most of the time. Darkest thoughts. I am afraid of the devil taking over my body. 
I'm afraid that I am selfish and do not truly love anyone that I feel I love. When my friends touch me or look close too closely at me, I am afraid that they will see that I am rotten and recoil, so I tense up, even though the fact that they want to reach out to me and the warmth of their touches make me feel happy. During a very dark period last year where I watched my brother all day and worked the night shift, uh, after every so often, I imagine a scenario where my mom and brother would get into a fight at the top of the stairs, fall down the stairs, and break their necks. I'm terrified of taking care of my brother when our parents are gone. I'm also terrified at the idea of having a child of my own just like him and reliving my childhood for the rest of my life. Wow, that is really heavy. That is really heavy. Sending you some love and a lot of hugs on that one. You know what? Just love. I think the hugs is overdoing it. I that's uh, just the the price of uh, sending hugs has gotten so expensive. It um, <laughs> so want to go back and erase that. I need a sip of tea. Darkest secrets. When I was younger, my brother once bounced up and down on me while I was laying on my stomach. His intent was likely not sexual, but I had intrusive thoughts of incest. Uh, because of it for years, uh, because of it for years, which I still feel terrible about because of his condition. I'm not sure I understand that last sentence, but um, sexual fantasies most powerful to you, lesbian, femme, dom stuff. Embarrassed, I'm uh, embarrassed by it, but only a little. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I still like girls, and when I came out to you and you told me I didn't know what I was talking about, you damaged my trust in you forever. Uh, what, if anything, do you wish for? Financial security for my brother. I wish parents knew that. Parents that judge their children's sexuality, I wish they knew how much they are shattering the emotional trust that that child has in them. How much they're shattering that that child's future trust and being able to come to them with something. Um, what what do uh, what if anything do you wish for? Financial security for my brother and myself to feel free to express myself to everyone and to be able to relax. Have you shared these things with others? Some with close friends and my partner. People are very understanding but often don't know what to say. How do you feel after writing these things down? A little more free and a little scared, kind of hoping you don't read it. And if you do, that it just blends in with the other stories. Um, is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? You are not alone and you are not bad. You are entirely valid. Please do not let fear stop you from talking to someone about what you have gone through. Isn't that amazing how we can, when we just imagine telling ourselves, telling somebody who has our issues how easy it is to to say the advice that we should heed but we can't because it's our life and we're so much harder on ourselves uh, this is filled out by um, this is a struggle in a sentence this was filled out by a guy who calls himself I love this name insecurity guard and uh, he suffers from depression and a snapshot from his life he writes sitting here knowing I should do something but also knowing I am unable to do anything other than just breathe. Boy, do I relate to that. Before I started recording tonight, um, I just, sometimes I like anxiety comes over me 
it's weird because it's it's like an anxiety that that is deadening, um, and it's. I feel my brain go to screensaver. I feel like nothing I have to say will be good enough. Um, and on an intellectual level, I know that's not true, but it's a feeling that's in my chest and my head. And the only thing that feels true to me in that moment is to just shut my eyes and feel silence. It feels like anything other than that is an effort or phony. Any comments to make the podcast better? Interview Herbert or just his butthole? Now, here's the weird part. Herbert, I talked to him. He's up for being interviewed, but he won't let me interview his butthole. I don't know how I'm going to get around that. I know how I'll do it. I'll sneak up on him when he's sleeping. So dumb. My wife and I must, I'm going to say 40 to 50 times a day, we talk to him like he's a little person. We say just ridiculously cheesy, embarrassing things about how adorable he is and how much we want to kiss his face. It's, and yet I love it. It's embarrassing, but I love it. This is from the Struggle in a Sentence survey filled out by Looney Luna, and she writes about her depression. Having to shut my office door on a daily basis so the people I supervise don't see me sitting at my desk with tears dripping down my cheeks because I'm too tired to pay my bills and clean my apartment, and I hate being away from my bed. Oh, oh, sending you some love, my God, do I know how that feels. Except I don't have to go to an office and hide behind the door, thank God. Um, and I'm too dead inside to cry. But other than that, boy, do I relate to the stack of bills and not being able to clean and hate being away from my bed. Oh, sending you some love. Sending you some love. You are not alone in that one. This is an awful moment filled out by a woman who calls herself Mental Musician. And she writes, I'm currently undergoing constant feuds with my codependent mother. Part of her problem is that she goes from treating me like her husband to all of a sudden treating me like a five-year-old. Yesterday, we had probably our biggest feud so far, where the argument got so intense that I hid in my cupboard for an hour and a half just so I couldn't see her while she was verbally attacking me. And she couldn't see I was crying and couldn't use that against me. The irony that I was fighting to not be treated like a five-year-old and was hiding in a cupboard. When it hit me this morning, I couldn't help burst out laughing at the thought of it. Thank you for that. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by Jeanette. And uh, she is bisexual in her 20s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Um... She's never been sexually abused. She has been emotionally abused. Um, and I believe that she is mixed uh, race. Um, her father, um, yeah, I believe her father's black and her mother's uh, white. Anyway, um, 
She writes, my father survived as the only living son left in his family of seven plus during South Africa's apartheid. He was the youngest child. He suffered severe, several traumas, the fear of the government, the disappearances and deaths of his brothers, his father's alcoholism, and the abuse his father inflicted upon his mother. His best childhood friend was Eugene de Klerk, whom my father occasionally lived with. Eugene de Klerk was the nephew of South Africa's president at the time, F.W. de Klerk. As one would imagine, my father suffered the effects of PTSD since his childhood, um, since his childhood, having fled the country at age 19. He is a talented artist and now has a PhD from an accredited state university. However, throughout my childhood, he was prone to angry outbursts, causing me severe anxiety slash hypervigilance in his presence. He invalidated my emotions. He verbally abused me, usually involving my, quote, competence or intelligence. He degraded my childhood friends in their absence um, with name-calling. He set unrealistic, highly authoritative expectations for school, play, cleanliness, and behavior, micromanaging and adjusting them along with his moods. He also had interludes of very high and amiable phases of mood. He had an infectious laugh, charisma, musical genius, genius, and a silly sense of humor. I love my father, though he still has a hard time learning to adjust the boundaries um, of our parent-child relationship. Our relationship improves with each passing year of my young adulthood. My mother's family, on the contrary, uh, uh, comes uh, from a rural white Midwestern family. Also, highly talented artists and strong dysfunctional genes. Depression, eating disorders, um, and borderline are rampant. I myself am an introverted, aspiring creative writer. After a string of nervous breakdowns, one of which was nearly fatal, I was forced to take a break from my full-ride university education to deal with my panic disorder and borderline personality disorder. Dealing with the effects of my childhood trauma traumas and my father's rage, which was almost exclusively directed towards me, has been difficult during this time of supposed blossom. The 20s are difficult as they are. Um, intimacy is difficult as it is. Friendship, creative ambition, all difficult. I have intense gratitude for my parents, and they did the best they could. Having been treated for the first time in my entire life, I am finally optimistic about life and feel productive enough to work and am cognitively functioning on a basic level, something that I've missed dearly. I have high hopes adapting the mantra, do the best you can every day instead of seeing how far I am from the finish line. I am writing, I am living, I am breathing. Um, any positive experiences with your abusers? Yes, both my parents were incredibly talented artists who inspired me to be explosively creative and ambitious. Don't take no for an answer. If there's a will, there's a way. My gratitude and admiration of them complicates my feelings towards them and myself, i.e., am I just making too big of a deal out of it? Am I just too sensitive? Am I not trying hard enough, etc.? Darkest thoughts. I'm afraid that I'll never write anything that speaks my truth. I'm afraid that I'll settle for less in life and give up on my artistic pursuits. I'm afraid that I'll care about money someday in a bad way. I'm afraid that I'll commit suicide in a depressive or dis dissociative episode. 
I'm afraid that any potential partners of mine will be too scared of my BPD diagnosis to want to settle down with me. I'm scared that I'll never go back to school due to my panic disorder. Um, I was attending the largest university on the West Coast, Arizona State. Darkest Secrets. I first contemplated suicide at age 10. I was high on opiate painkillers that I stole from my father um, the first time I had sex. They did not work for the intended purpose, surprisingly. Um, I accidentally sat on my lizard last week. She survived and is currently thriving. I'm a highly sexual and bright young woman. Most people do not believe that I can exist. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Emotional intimacy is my greatest sexual fantasy, actually. Sharing that makes me feel sad. It's what I crave most in a sexual encounter, and it's difficult for me to achieve. You should not feel sad about that at all. Oh my God. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? Those of us that have sexual fantasies that we feel shame about because they're not based around emotional intimacy, um, and you're, you're one of the people that has something that, that society would not judge you for and it makes you feel sad. It's just, can any of us win? I really don't think so. I really don't think so. And you will find somebody. I'm sure you'll find somebody. You know, uh, the, the phrase that comes to mind is be the partner that you want. Be the friend that you want. Be the change in the world that you want kind of cheesy but I really think it's true and I think if we become what we want in a partner we become trustworthy sensitive caring compassionate patient all those things and I think we wind up attracting somebody that has those qualities what if anything do you wish for for my Ability to be better slash well enough to help other people, to be an advocate and activist for the misrepresentative, underprivileged, and disenfranchised. Uh, theme song's kicking in. Not yet. Mute. Have you shared these things with others? No, I haven't. I keep my desires and future plans inside for fear that they will be invalidated, belittled, etc. And by doing that, you're... you're snuffing out the chance to connect to somebody. And I would encourage you to take baby steps. You know, and just share a little bit with somebody that you that you trust. See how it goes. You know, how do you feel after writing these things down? Actualized, good, peaceful. Is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Wellness is a process. Happiness is a verb. Do what you can. Ask for help. Find gratitude and perspective wherever you can. Thank you for that. This is an awful moment filled out by a woman who calls herself Jealous Bitch. Uh, and her awful moment, my mom has never told me I'm pretty, but she tells our female dog that multiple times a day. <laughs> that is awful that is awfulsome. Uh, this is a shame and secret survey filled out by JV. And she is in her 20s. Uh, she's bisexual. She was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. She was a victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. 
she writes, I was going over to have sex with a guy. Uh, I was fucking semi-regularly and things took a turn. I'm usually down for a lot of violent sex, gagging, choking, slapping, etc. And he managed to rape me. He called me in for a cuddle after a blowjob. And when I started falling asleep, he pulled my pants down and penetrated me. I started to talk and he put his hand over my mouth and fucked me harder. And the pressure from his hand just pushed my head into the pillow and I didn't know what to do, but I started to come, so I moaned. I felt fucking disgusted. I agreed to all these things so that I can lessen the chance of ever calling it rape and people find a way. Um, I agree to all these things so that I can lessen the chance of ever calling it rape and people find a way. I don't understand the last part of and people find a way. Um, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Um, yeah, that is... Uh, Sending you some love. She's been physically and emotionally abused. Uh, she writes, my father or my mother would both physically and emotionally abuse me. She's slapped baby teeth out of my mouth. There's a first. Slapped baby teeth out of my mouth. Wow. That is an image. Uh, and hurt my genitals. She has also told me I was disgusting, crazy, and unlovable. I managed to get engaged to a woman who would say the same thing, and then I broke off the engagement. We're both better off. Um, no positive experiences with her abusers. Darkest thoughts. Scalping older people. Their skin, skin seems so smooth and delicate. Darkest secrets. I wanted to be pregnant by my rapist so that I could have an abortion and be able to physically remove a piece of him from me so that the pain wouldn't be purely emotional. Wow, that is heavy. That is so heavy. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Penetrating men gently. I feel good sharing that. I feel like a lot of me being penetrated has been bad, so I want to engage in that with someone who has never done it, but I want to make it a good experience. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? You're a piece of shit, and I'm glad you're losing your hair at a young age. It would be mean. It would be a mean thing to say, and I would feel better. Um, what, if anything, do you wish for? A world without sexual violence. Have you shared these things with others? Yes, I get laughs at the anger and sympathetic nods at sadness. How do you feel after writing these things down? Good. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Hang in there. There are so many of us that we can help each other. That is so true. I'm so sorry that you had to go through that stuff. <sighs> this is a struggle in a sentence uh, filled out by a guy who calls himself Sally May's bitch. And um, about his depression, he writes... Uh, Someone shouts hi outside my house and I can't return the greeting since I know it'll exhaust me and I need the effort to somehow get through work the next day. Um, and then a snapshot from his life. Uh, he writes, the country I live in doesn't have a single therapist or counselor, not one. The only meds they have is Zoloft. They're forced to assume that our brains work in a one-size-fits-all capacity. And even though I seem to be one of the lucky ones that Zoloft kind of works on, I had to stop taking it because they just weren't open enough, and sometimes it would be weeks before I could get my order refilled. 
I was lucky enough to find a coworker who has similar issues to mine, and it was nice to be able to be open and honest with someone who gets it. Recently, we were both at a speaking event where, where we heard someone being really honest about some serious mental issues. She hung around in a way that we could tell she was looking for a connection, so we both went up, hugged her, and told her that she never deserved any of the hardships that happened. We suggested that we form our own little group. When the day arrived, sadly, my coworker had another commitment, and so she couldn't attend. It was just me and the stranger. I've been to a lot of support groups, and I've listened to a lot of the Mental Illness Happy Hour podcasts, so I think I did a good enough job hosting it, but her issues were so much more than I've experienced, and I was terrified that in my reaching out to help, she might confuse me with an actual therapist and think I'm able to provide more solutions than a caring ear. But who else will do it? There's literally no other person. I did suggest one women's group she wasn't aware of, so hopefully that'll help her. But most of what I did uh, was listen carefully and told her that she never deserved this, wasn't to blame, and wasn't alone. To be honest, I enjoyed the group and hope it can be all three of us the next time, but I feel like a bit of a fraud. Who am I to offer any support? I'm the biggest fuck-up in the world. What right do I have to tell someone it'll be okay? To which I say, you are the exact person that can help people because you don't have it all figured out because you know what it's like to feel pain internally because you want to help because you're a seeker i could go on and on and on and on but you are the type of person that can change the world and you did in a small way by by just having that that get together with those people that's how that's how support groups start is just two people talking to each other um you could be the person that 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 changes the emotional landscape of this of this place where you live. Um, so don't discount um, what what you can bring um, by talking one on one to another person because of the ripples that can form from just a single conversation. I mean, you know, th- look at the people that that founded all of the twelve step things. It was two alcoholics that were just having a conversation one afternoon and they bonded. And decades later, millions of people have been helped just by that little spark. So um, you are very much uh, equipped. And, and I think your fear is valid that, that um, you know, you don't want any person to, to think that you're there to cure them or help them. Just make that clear say hey here's a fear of mine that and that's what's so great about support groups is we get to dump all our talk about all the fears and crazy thoughts going around in our head but i really wanted to read that because um i don't know i i that's that is how beautiful beautiful things start is with just one-on-one two people trying to navigate through life and just trying to make the world a slightly better place. This is an awfulsome moment filled out by a woman who calls herself Sunshine Moonshine. And uh, her awfulsome moment, sitting in a psych room at my local hospital doing homework for my psych class in my hospital bed. (laughs) Oh, Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. 
uh, and finally, this is a happy moment filled out by um, a woman who calls herself Wounded Healer. And she writes, I'm a counselor in training, and a few months ago, during the beginning of my clinical experience, I was feeling like an imposter. I felt that I was completely incompetent and not helping any of my clients when the greatest moment happened. I finally gave up trying to be the perfect therapist. I gave being my authentic self in the room a chance. One week after deciding to do this, a client told me that she never had anyone be so genuine with her. She could feel unconditional acceptance by me, her therapist. It was a simple statement on her, but one of the most powerful and happy moments of my life. It was the perfect reminder of the therapist I want to be and that I am on the right path of becoming that therapist. Every time I am doubting myself as a clinician, I think back to that conversation and remember, I am a working progress, much like my clients. That is so beautiful. That is so beautiful. You know, all we have is this this moment. It's amazing how much time we waste thinking about the future or dwelling on the past and completely missing out on what is here right now, um, what's going on. I find myself every day doing that, every day thinking, well, if I can just get you know over to that coffee place and get my laptop open, then I'll be able to enjoy myself. Because right now, this is just, you know, I'm just uncomfortable and uneasy and agitated. And it's just in that moment, we have to make peace. Just moment by moment by moment, make peace with every moment that comes at us through the day, no matter no matter what they are. If we can find a w- way to make peace, I think that's, you know, as Eckhart Tolle talks about in his book, A New Earth, that's when we connect to the power of the universe, when we surrender to what is and stop wishing for it to be different. Um, and so I started reading him every morning uh, again now, and I think it's... I think it's helping me. As you can tell by the intro to the podcast where I'm so kind to myself. It's it's working miracles. Anyway, I, I hope you uh, enjoyed this episode with uh, with Monica. I hope you got something out of the surveys. Um, and um, I hope if you're out there and you're feeling stuck that this episode has reminded you that you are not alone and there is help. There's help available. Um, we just have to get out of our comfort zone and be willing to do something a little bit different. And um, you'd be amazed at the results, the way the universe meets us halfway. Um, You know, it did for me. Twelve and a half years ago, I sat up in bed one morning, tired of thinking about committing suicide and said out loud, God help me, I can't do this anymore. Not a religious person. It wasn't even really, I wouldn't have considered it a prayer. I didn't pray. I didn't go to church. It had nothing to do with that. It was just a cry out to the universe. But for some reason, that day, I got up the nerve to pick up a phone and find help. And uh, and my life changed. And I've been going to support groups since then. And, um, and it's there for you, too. It's there for you. And um, thanks for listening. Thank you.
Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely.